on today's episode of Power of the Towel. It's a bit of a different episode, the quarantine, quarantine version of episode. I'm recording at home on a on a blue snowball microphone, one of those things I got from the studio. So we'll try and do uh, something a bit different. We'll still have our uh, we'll still have our usual guest this week. It's Brendan Batchelor from Sportsnet 650, but will be a bit of a different episode. You know, there's a bit of Canucks news to talk about, but that's, uh, yeah, it should be a bit of a different episode, and it should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? All right. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel. I am your host, Nick Bondi. Before you listen to any more of this episode, subscribe. Yes, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network. Not only do you get this show, you'll get Silky and Filthy. They just released a new episode recently, which is great. I love love the conversation. They have... Um, They have the quickie, fastest hockey show on planet Earth, daily hockey show. Trevor Beggs going through all 31 NHL teams right now. And of course, you got Sippin' on a 40. New episode is coming out sometime tomorrow. We're all we're all getting together and we're all recording an episode. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bonney, for the Next Misconduct Network. And I wanted to I wanted to start off this episode first by quickly just going over the two signings the Vancouver Canucks had. So they had they had two new signings. They had Mark Michaelis. They signed him as a uh, as a unrest- as a uh, college free agent. And of course, they signed Will Lockwood, who was a 2016 third round pick. Both signed with the Vancouver Canucks. Now you can argue. I don't see too many people arguing about all these signings were worthless or not, I think, because a lot of people are scared that they got they got burned by this whole Zach McEwen thing. You remember, there was a lot of people who who worried about, oh, there's, he's taken up a contract spot with Zach McEwen. He may not, you know, he may not pan out and he just wasted a, a contract spot on the guy. But, hey, Zach McEwen's now pretty much a confirmed, like, fourth liner. Like, if the Canucks were playing right now, he'd be he'd be on the fourth line. And I liked what I saw from Zach McEwen when I saw him with the Canucks briefly. But yeah, like I don't really, I'm not a big prospect guy. I know Will Lockwood's, but he's one of those four-year guys for uh, out of college at the Canucks side. Mark Michaelis, just looking at his numbers right now. Again, he was one of those calls from Mannheim, Germany, but decided to play uh, display at Minnesota State University, Mankato. And he was, hey, he was an over point per game player, or around point per game player, pretty much every year in uh, in NCAA hockey, which is pretty even as a even as a freshman, he did pretty well, thirty six points in thirty nine games, which is pretty cool. So, hey, good for them. I but that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is something a bit more wholesome, something that will get you, you know, 
reminiscing and feeling good again. What I want to talk about is your first hockey memories now. Make sure if you, after this, make sure to tweet at us at Power of the Towel or at my personal account at Nick Bondi because I want to know what, what, you, what are your first hockey memories. Now, I've got two that always stick out for me. One that's specifically about the Canucks and one that's just hockey in general. Now, the first, the very first Canucks game I went to personally was January of 2002. I was about seven. It was a Canucks-Flames game. Roman Turk was in net for the Flames. I don't remember who won or lost that game, but the very first hockey game I remember, and the very first hockey game I distinctly remember getting really emotional and getting really pumped for was that 2002 gold medal game, Canada-USA. I... It was a friend's birthday, I believe, at the time, and we were all just watching the game. Obviously, that legendary uh, call by Bob Cole when Joe Sackick scored to make it five-two. That was that's my first that's my first hockey memory was that game, and I still think that's one of the best Team Canada teams ever assembled. Like people talk about, like that 1987 Canada Cup team as like the gold standard. Hey, that 2000 look look at that 2002 roster, man. That was that was pretty legit. You had like Mario Lemieux, Steve Eisman, Chris Pronger, obviously Prime Joe Sackick, Paul Correa. You had guys like Owen Nolan, Rob Blake, Adam Foote, Cujo, Curtis Joseph in net, Martin Brodeur. You had a Canuck. You had Ed, Joven- Ed Jovanovski was on that team, right? So it was a uh, that was my very first hockey. Me- that's the very first hockey memory I have. My very first Canucks memory, I've talked about on this show before, was the playoffs in 2002. Like I said, I was just starting to get really into hockey. So, you know, hey, as a, as a Canucks fan, I thought they were going to win the cup, you know. I thought, you know, I, I, I didn't really know that much about the Red Wings because I didn't really follow much out of the Canucks. But obviously, the Red Wings that year were stacked. They were like video game level stack they had like so many halt just look at the just go 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 google that roster they they were just absolutely stacked but anyways hey the canucks they get they go they win the first two games in detroit they look like they're gonna win the series they just have to win the next four or five and me as a seven year old seven slash eight year old canucks fan i was pumped I was like, hey they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna go on win the series win the stanley cup that's how that's that young naivete that we all that we all kind of have and then lose when we get all older and jaded. But it was one one nearing the second and the second period of the third game. Nick Lidstrom takes a innocuous slap shot from center ice, is trying to dump the puck in. Get, gets it on net, but it goes underneath Dan Cluche's glove. Or was it over his glove? I block I just know it went in. Detroit wins that game 2-1. Game over. Dow ended up being the winning goal, and they lose that game in the next three games. And yeah, that's my very first memory as a Canucks fan. And what what a way to scar yourself for any future endeavors, man. Wow. Yeah, that, that's my first Canucks memory. Some uh, the crushing playoff goal that just demoralized the team. So I want to know. What's your first hockey memory or memories that you can sit back and reminisce about about this time? Because 
hey, I, hey, I watched a, I watched a video on the uh, on the 2002 gold medal team. Brought back a lot of good memories. And sometimes, you know, in times like this, you need to reminisce a bit. You need to reminisce about the good times, man. And that 2002 team, that was a heck of a team. That 2002 Canucks team, they were good too. They had, that was a dawn of the West Coast Express. Maybe the rest of the team wasn't that that great. Even the Sedins weren't the Sedins at that point. That's the same series where Brian Burke had that famous press conference where he was like, Sedin's not Swedish for punch me or headlock me in a scrum or something like that. But yeah, what are your first hockey memories? Make sure to tweet at us your first hockey memories. I think it'll be a good exercise for everyone. But yeah, our guest this week is none other than the voice of Canucks Hockey on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Just a minute, don't hang up! Yellow. You'll have to speak up, I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on Power of the Towel, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Brendan, how's it going, man? Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, going and coming back, we were talking before we, we started this, going coming back from the grocery store, one of the few things you can still do. Yeah, exactly, and uh, my wife and I live uh, nearby to a couple of grocery stores, so, uh, you know, in this day and age, as you said, one of the few things you can do, so we get out, get for a little walk, and get to the grocery store and pick up a few essentials here. I was uh, I was trying to get into Whole Foods earlier today, I had to line up outside to get in. It was wow, just, that's Yeah, it's just, it was just like, it's just a very surreal moment, but... Anyways, the was first, there anything left when you got inside? You know what? I wasn't actually, like, in hindsight, I didn't even need to go in. I just wanted to pick up, like, a slice of pizza. That's all I wanted. <laughs> but, like, all the all the hot food was done. Like, they stopped the hot food because of, of the coronavirus. So there was really no point in me lining up in the first place. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man, it was terrible. So my first question, and what I want to start off right at the bat, thank you. So, and why I'm saying thank you is I think you bring so much emotion and passion to like your broadcast. I remember earlier in March, and this felt like this is like, this was like maybe a month ago, but at, at, at this rate, it feels like a year ago where yeah, I was listening, I was listening to that game, you were, the game you were calling uh, at it, uh, when Phoenix was in town and I was listening to the, I was driving back covering the provincial championships the high school boys provincial championships from the LEC. I'm bombing down the highway and I'm listening to your call of the Canucks coming back and you brought so much joy and passion. It was honestly so good. So thank you. If that's the last moment of the Vancouver Canucks, that's my last final memory of the Vancouver Canucks this season. Thank you. Yeah, no, well, thank you for saying that. Those are very kind words. And uh, certainly we hope it's not the, the last game we'll have a chance to call here uh, this season, but uh, but yeah, it was it was going to be an exciting finish for this group. Things were getting so tight around the playoff bar, and uh, you know, even if the league does come back at some point here over the next few months, I would imagine it'll be a different format than what we're used to. Uh, so we will never really know whether this edition of the Vancouver Canucks would have had what it takes to push themselves in across the playoff bar. But uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens here how things develop in the world, and, and certainly uh, for more reasons than just hockey, you hope that uh, things get back to normal sooner rather than later. Uh, but, of course, with hockey being a big part of all of our lives, we'll have to wait to see uh, what happens with that. Yeah, and I I guess we can talk about, you know, what your thoughts are on kind of like what the season's going to look like coming back, because I'm sure you've 
you've talked to people like around the league and you probably have a better sense of just me than speculating. But I want to get your sense of what what was your opinion of the Canucks season prior to the stoppage? Like, did you think they had what it takes coming down the stretch to make the playoffs? Like, what was your general sense of the team like right before this this pause or shutdown or whatever the NHL wanted to call it? Well, well, coming into the season, I had picked them to have 92 points and miss the playoffs. So that was the expectation that I had coming in. And there was a very good stretch of the year where they looked like they were going to surpass those expectations. They had some great stretches throughout the season. Uh, and then obviously the injuries had started to mount over the last month of play or so with Besser being out. And of course, he got back in uh, just before the league shut down. Uh, Josh Lebo had been out long-term. Jacob Markstrom, they were missing as well. And that started to affect their play. It started to affect the results. And, you know, a team that was in first in the Pacific Division at the All-Star break found itself, you know, below the playoff bar when the league uh, ended up shutting down. Now, I know if you look at points percentage, they were still on pace to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. but it was going to be tough for them. Make no mistake, they were going to have to win some games against good teams down the stretch. It wasn't going to be easy. But I did think that if they got consistent goaltending from Thatcher Demko, they would at least have a chance to get there. And other than a couple of shaky games for Demko when he first took over the starting role after Markstrom went down, I thought he was good enough. I thought he gave them a chance to win. Uh, so, you know, it, looking into the crystal ball, I don't really know whether I would predict that they would have made the playoffs or not. But they were right in that conversation and it very likely would have come down to the final week in the last couple of games of the season. Yeah, you know, what? what's perfect about this shutdown in terms of predictions is it leaves a blank slate where you can say, you can just say you're right. Like, you can just be like, hey, like they're <laughs> going to make the playoffs. So, hey, if you want to be like, hey, the Canucks were going to finish exactly 92 points, that's well within your rate at this point. Like, no one's going to stop you. Yeah, and that was my preseason prediction. Like, I, I can remember during training camp sitting down with Dan Murphy and John Shorthouse and Satyar Shaw uh, from our radio station as well, talking about you know what we all thought the Canucks would become. And I can remember distinctly saying 92 points, but they'll still miss the playoffs by a point or two. And uh, again, we'll never know if I'm right, so I'm not going to take a victory lap or anything like that. Um, but they were, they were right in that neighborhood where a couple of wins, more than you would expect, would have put them at you know, 96, 97, 98 points and would have secured a playoff spot. And a couple more losses might have left them down at 90 points, and then it would have been a, a tough battle to get in, to say the least. Mm-hmm. What were your general thoughts on the Canucks being buyers at the NHL trade, trade deadline? Like, obviously, now with the situation we're in, you can really debate whether it was, you know, worth it for some of these teams to try and give up assets. You know, there's a whole like, issue of conditional draft picks. How's that going to be sorted out? But at the time of the trade deadline, do you think it was a good idea for the Canucks? to go out and, you know, give up assets for a guy like Tyler Toffoli? Did you think the window was there for the team? Well, it was certainly there for them to make the playoff. And, you know, four straight years of missing the postseason, uh, likely the the fact that jobs would be on the line if they were to miss. uh, And, of course, not having a full understanding of what was going to happen with coronavirus and uh, the league being paused. It, It did make sense to me. Uh, I understand the argument, though, that people would say that was the kind of move for Toffoli that you should be making if you think you're a Stanley Cup contender. But at the same time, this is a team that just needed to get into the playoffs. 
They you know, knew that they had lost Brock Besser long-term, although it certainly wasn't as long as many people thought it would be. And that, to me, was the major motivating factor. And Jim Benning even admitted as much after making the trade for Tyler Toffoli that you know they knew they were going to be without Brock Besser, and they felt they owed it to the team to give them someone to replace him, to give them a chance to try and keep up in the playoff battle. So, uh, you know, in hindsight, obviously, you say, well, if this season finished, then Tyler Toffoli played 10 games for the Canucks. They gave up assets. They may not be able to re-sign him. And then it looks like a horrible trade. But, of course, you know, at the time, at the trade deadline back in February, none of us realized where things would be mm-hmm. a month later. And so, uh, you know, you can't necessarily fault Jim Benning on that part of it. Uh, but as I said, you know, it, it's an interesting debate about whether that was the right move to make at this point in the club's development. But you also understand that uh, if this team was unable to make the playoffs, then there likely would have been jobs on the line. So you, you can certainly understand what Jim Benning was looking at from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into a bit of your you know career in general. Like, What made you decide to try and get into radio, pursue a career in sports broadcasting in radio? Like, What was the big, aha, this is, this is my calling moment? Well, it's something I kind of always wanted to do uh, since I was a little kid. Obviously, I wanted to play in the NHL as well. But, you know, even you know playing street hockey games as a kid or, you know, playing on my, my hockey set, the hockey table, or playing the NHL video game, I would always do the play-by-play with it. And then uh, when it became clear that I wasn't going to be good enough to be a player and make the NHL, I thought, huh, you know what, you could get paid to uh, talk about it. And, uh, and so that was something I worked towards. I went to BCIT, uh, the broadcast journalism program, and I uh, did some work in the BCHL with the Coquitlam Express, and then uh, worked my way up from there with the play-by-play guy for the Surrey Eagles and then the Vancouver Giants. And then when Sportsnet 650 launched a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to jump into the booth with Corey Hirsch and call Canuck Games, which really has, has been my dream since I was a little kid. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool now to be in this spot and certainly wish that I was calling games right now as opposed to uh, just hanging out waiting to see what's going to happen. Hey, not, nothing wrong with hanging out a bit at home relaxing, but I do agree. I do, <laughs> I, I do miss hockey uh, uh, quite, quite a bit. Now, at BCIT, do they teach you like kind of like that Big J broadcasting journalism voice or is that just like something you always had? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. It's, it's not something they teach you. So it's, you know, just, I, I guess, the way I speak, and uh, that sort of plays into it. But uh, BCIT is a, a great program that I went through, but a lot of it is very much uh, based around news reporting. So you learn a lot about oh, okay. covering news at BCIT, but then you can take those skills and apply them to sports uh, afterwards. So that's sort of what I did and learned a lot about news and newscasts and did a lot of news coverage and things like that. And then when I graduated, got a job in, in sports radio and went from there. Nice. So, are you more of a in terms of like sports broadcasters you like looked up to? Are you more of a Jim Houston or a Bob Cole guy? Jim Houston for sure. Oh, okay. uh, mainly just because of his connection to the Canucks and you know John Shorthouse too. Like though I, I grew up a Canucks fan, I grew up in Coquitlam, and those were the guys that you know I was listening to growing right. up. Whether it was Jim Houston on TV or Shorty on the radio, and then. Uh, of course, Shorty moved to TV when, when Huey went out east to call Maple Leaf games. So, you know, I think we're very lucky here in Vancouver, whether it's Jim Robson, 
Josh Shorthouse. We've had some of the best play-by-play men that you can find anywhere call games in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an honor for me to, you know, try to carry on that proud tradition as well. What's John Shorthouse like? Like, he seems like just like, be like a super cool, chill dude. Like, is that is that that's the vibe I get? Is that what he's like away from the mic? Like, what's John Shorthouse yeah, like? Yeah, he's a pretty relaxed guy. He likes to joke a lot. Uh, obviously, we spend a lot of time together. Uh, traveling with the team, and uh, so we'll have a lot of meals together, both with Shorty and Cheech and Murph and myself and Corey Hirsch. And, um, yeah, no, he, he's been great. He's been really helpful for me, really supportive of me coming into the job, and uh, and yeah, just a, just a relaxed guy that, that loves calling games and, and does a great job at it. Hmm. So you mentioned earlier you used to work for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, what, what were those road trips like with the Vancouver Giants? Because it's not like the NHL where you get the charter around. Like, you're on the bus a lot. Like, what were those ro- long road trips like, you know, covering the Giants? Yeah, they were uh, they were a learning experience, and they were certainly, uh, you know, the travel at the NHL level, you're right, it's certainly uh, a lot higher level, I guess you could say, when you're flying on planes and staying in really nice hotels. But it was also a cool experience, you know, to, to be on the bus with, with all those young players and uh, as much as you know the players are wanting to get to the NHL so is everyone on the bus whether it's the coaches whether it's the trainers whether it's the broadcasters mm. um, you know so you sort of share in that that common goal that even though you're not all doing the same you want to try and push towards the NHL and do as good of a job as you can so uh, you know so, some of the trips were not fun I'll be honest like when you drive back from Swift Current Saskatchewan and oh, you terrible. leave at 11 11 p.m. one night and you get home at 3 in the afternoon the next day with with just a brief stop for breakfast in between. Those are those are long bus rides, but at the same time, some of my best memories of working in junior hockey are some of the fun times that we had on the bus, too. So, um, you know, certainly, you're right, the travel is much nicer now, much more enjoyable, but uh, I wouldn't give up those years with the Giants and those experiences I had for anything either. Uh, so what was your go-to move on the bus? So you just watch movies, like, play video games? Like, what was your go-to move to kill time? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I would try to get as much work done on the bus oh, as okay. I could. Because see, that, see this is why you're in the, the NHL. You're a pro's pro, working all the time. No, <laughs> yeah, time, no days off. Well, exactly. So, but but when I was working there, not only was I doing the play-by-play, I was the media relations director. Oh, I was okay. writing art- articles for the website. I was running the social media. Uh, I was doing all sorts of writing press releases, doing all sorts of things. So I, you know, I, I always used that opportunity to try and catch up on work if I could, so that then when you get to wherever you're going, you don't have to be worried about being bogged down doing work, and you can go out for dinner or have a relaxing evening or something like that. But Oftentimes, there you know the players would have movies on the on the video system in the bus, so we would watch watch those. Or um, yeah, I'd had I'd have books with me. Um, you know, I'd, I'd maybe play computer games once in a while, but uh, for the most part, um, you know, and some of those trips are through the night too, so you're just trying to get some sleep. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it was never really one thing. There were sort of a variety of ways that you tried to pass your time on the bus. Okay, what was your go-to road trip movie? That's it. Well, I don't know if I had a go-to one. I always wanted to try and watch something different or something I hadn't seen. But the movie I've seen more times than any other because of hockey road trips is Happy Gilmore. Oh, that's a classic. Like that, that movie would be watched at least once a season uh, during my time in junior hockey. And that was a movie I you know, had, had watched as a kid and enjoyed prior to that. So I don't enjoy it quite as much as I used to because I've seen it probably a few too many times. But 
that would be the one that I would have seen the most. Apparently, that was filmed in Vancouver. Yeah, parts of it were. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, see, I, I recognize the golf course. Looks like the Fraser Valley, but I, I digress. I digress. So you mentioned you were also like the media relations. So you not only were you calling the games, you were dealing with like people trying to cover the team as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah, wow. So that that's a lot. That's a lot of, like on your plate for someone you know trying to call the games. Well, oh, what was that like? Yeah, I mean it was a lot of work, but um, but it, you know I learned a lot to doing that. So you know. When, when you have a position like that and you're doing a variety of different things, and I mean, when you work for a junior hockey team, you basically have to do everything to help that team work. You know, these are organizations that aren't necessarily making a huge profit like NHL teams yeah. are. They don't have a ton of staff. So, you know, as much as I wrote articles and ran the Twitter and broadcasted the games on the radio, uh, like I, I painted the dressing room one summer. I would work <laughs> in the you office. You painted and, the dressing room? Yeah, yeah, with the with the trainers, we painted the dressing room in the in the summer one year. Was this um, at the LEC? No, uh, that was at the Pacific Coliseum oh, okay. at that time. But then I was working for the Giants when they made the move from the Coliseum oh, okay. to the LEC. So there was one off season where I was essentially a mover, and we were packing up everything the Vancouver Giants owned and moving it out to Langley. So um, you know, you you learn the value of hard work. You learn to have a diverse skill set and the ability to you know, just sort of jump to a challenge and do whatever's asked of you. And, uh, you know, now that I'm I'm calling the games, obviously I'm not being pulled in quite as many directions, but uh, it helps that you have that work ethic that you've learned uh, from that experience already, and then I can apply that to the preparation that I do for the game broadcast mm-hmm. as well. So what, so... I'm gonna. I want to get your opinion on this because me and my me and my couple of my friends were talking about this recently. What's your opinion on the on the Giants' move to like the LEC? You know, you were involved with the Giants for a bit. I like. Hey, I like the Pacific Coliseum as much as the next guy. I understand why they moved out to the LEC, and I cover a lot of basketball at the LEC. Like, I like the facility. I can see why they wanted to move out there. But at the same time, you know, if I want to get a bunch of my, we're all. I'm like I'm 25. If I want to get a bunch of my friends to go out to a Giants game. Someone's got to drive, and no one wants to be that guy. So, what's your opinion on the Giants' move to the LEC now that you're a few years, you know, removed from the situation? Yeah, I, I certainly think it was the right move for where things were at. With it's, the a, it's a great facility, and I see, I can see the appeal because, like, there is, yeah. like, there is a lot of families out, out of, like the Langley kind of Fraser Valley area. That I assume they want to try and get. Yeah, that that sort of I think was the thinking behind that was you know attendance had dipped at the Pacific Coliseum in the last few years. And certainly, the team wasn't very good through that stretch either, mm-hmm. so that would have played a factor. But you look at you know amateur sports all around, and attendance is down you know pretty much across the board, as opposed to say what it would have been like ten or fifteen years ago. Because in today's day and age, you know you have the NHL centerized package, you have. 4K TV. Yeah. You have Netflix. There are so there's so much less incentive to get out of your house and go and see a game in person than there used to be because you know what? You can watch every NHL game if you want. You can throw on the Florida Panthers and the New Jersey Devils. And, no one's watching that watch. game, man. No one, no one's interested well, in that game. Well, hey, maybe you're a huge Florida Panthers fan. Those don't exist. In in, don't because those of don't the exist. fact that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the point being that. Um, that attendance has been down across the board. So to me, it made sense for the organization to move into a slightly smaller venue, uh, but it's a newer venue. It's in better shape than the Coliseum, although there's great memories and history that come with the Pacific Coliseum. But, uh, you know, newer venue, nicer venue, 
little bit smaller and it's closer to the people you're trying to attract, which are those families that, um, you know, with real estate prices more and more, the young family lives further away from the downtown core. So, uh, you know, you would even, you know, you, you would see that, that that was the case in terms of the people that were turning up at Giants games, like Wednesday night Giants games at the Coliseum did not draw a lot of people. Uh, so, so I understand the move, and it seems like it's worked through the first few years. They've been able to play a few games back at the Coliseum. I know um, they did the teddy bear toss there the last few years. They actually did the teddy bear toss at Rogers Arena this year, yeah, I saw which that. I thought was an interesting experiment. And you know, you wonder if maybe one day they look at moving downtown and playing in the same rink as the Canucks, and uh, you know, there would be all sorts of different opportunities there, whether it be ticket packaging, combining the Canucks and Giants and, and drawing people from the downtown core into the arena. That certainly would be a, a different approach, but one that could work as well. But um, to this point, from my perspective, I think the, the move to the Langley Event Center has made sense for the team. It's worked for them uh, in, in terms of the way they run their financials. And, uh, and you know, they've had a pretty good team here the last couple of years. Certainly, it's, it's disappointing that they're not going to be able to finish their season this year as well because mm-hmm. They looked like they were peaking, heading towards the playoffs. But, you know, you go to Game 7 of the WHL Final last year, you take your fans on a great playoff ride, and, you know, you really make some inroads in the community out in the Fraser Valley while doing that. So it makes a ton of sense to me that the Giants are in Langley for now, and we'll see if they stay there and for how long. Mm. I think the last Giants game I saw was back at the Pacific Coliseum when Leon Dreisail was playing for the Kelowna Rockets. That was the last time I think I saw like a Giants game, and it was fun. I liked it. Yeah, I, well, I, you bring up Leon Dreisaitl. I can remember he uh, oh, he, he was so he, he was, was like a man amongst boys situation. He was just dominant. He was so that year he had been with the Oilers, and they sent him back yeah. to junior. And his rights had previously been with the Prince Albert Raiders, but they traded him to Kelowna, who was a team that was gearing up to try and push deep in the playoffs. And so he arrived in Kelowna, and his first game was against the Vancouver Giants in Kelowna. I can remember he skated down the left wing and fired a slap shot from the top of the circle that beat the Giants goalie clean. And I can remember thinking as I was calling the goal, man, this this is a guy that is too good for this league. And certainly he was a big part of the success they had that year. And now you see the, the heights he's grown to in the NHL. It's, it's pretty cool. And that's another cool element for me coming from junior hockey is to see, you know, some of the guys that, that I covered and, and was aware of coming through the ranks as a young broadcaster, now be able to cover them at the NHL level. Like, for example, Troy Stetcher, I uh, was doing the play-by-play for the Surrey Eagles when they played Troy Stetcher on the Penticton Vs oh, in the cool. BCHL final in 2013. So I've been watching Troy play hockey for, you know, seven, eight years now. And to see how far he's come and now to be a member of the Vancouver Canucks is, is pretty cool. So it's it's another one of those things that, uh, you know, if, if I hadn't had the experiences in junior hockey that I had, that I might not appreciate how far some of these guys have come as well. Mm-hmm. So after the Giants, he ended up obviously getting the job at Sportsnet. What's that? What's that like job application like to get get a, like a job calling the Vancouver Canucks? Like, I don't I assume you don't just submit your resume and hope for the best. Like, what what was that? At, well, how'd you get the job? Is what I'm trying to get so, at. Yeah, so I did submit my resume, but actually, so I had interviewed for the Canucks job, I guess it was three years prior, when the rights were still on TSN 1040, and... You were trying uh, to take John Shorthouse's job? Well, no, because, so what happened at the time was, John Shorthouse did most of the games on TV, 
and then he did some on the radio. But when he was on TV, Rick Ball called oh, the games okay. on the radio. Uh, but then Rick Ball left because he got the job doing Calgary Flames TV. So there was an opening there that whenever Shorty was going to be on TV, they needed someone to call the games on the radio. So I applied, and I'd been working at, uh, at TSN 1040 at the time anyway. So I had connections there, and they knew, you know, you know the, the body of work that I had done with the Giants at that point. So I applied and, and interviewed at that point with the people at TSN 1040 and the Canucks, and didn't end up getting the job at that point. But I made some connections within the Canucks organization at that point. And so when it was announced that the rights were going to Sportsnet and they would be starting a new station, I just sent a couple of emails out to people I knew and said, hey, if you hear about anything, if you hear about any opportunities, whether it's calling Canuck games or whether it's just to have an opportunity to work for the new radio station, let me know. Um, and then uh, they hired their program director, Craig McEwen, who is my boss now at Sportsnet 650, and of course, he used to be on the air at Sportsnet. Oh, and yeah, I had I actually, yeah, and I had actually interned with him when I was at BCIT, and I kept in touch with him, and you know, knew him through the industry, and uh, you know, would, would catch up with him anytime I saw him. So he knew who I was as well. He knew about my broadcasting ability, and uh, so he was hired as the program director. And I got a hold of Craig and applied to him, and and then after that, it was pretty much you know like a like a relatively normal uh, job application with a couple of interviews and uh, and then being offered the job at the end of it. But, uh, you know, I, I tell that story to young broadcasters, like I'll, I'll often go back and speak to students at BCIT, and I'll, I'll use that as an example of how important networking is, not just in, in broadcasting or in sports, but really in anything you want to do. Because as much as I know that I worked really hard to be good at broadcasting games, and as much as you know, I personally thought that I did a good job and, you know, was deserving of the opportunity. Uh, you know, it, it also helped that I knew some people that were in a position to make those decisions and to give me that opportunity because, to be honest, you know, from, from my time in junior hockey, both at the BCHL and the WHL, there were a ton of really good play-by-play -play broadcasters, really hard-working guys out there that just haven't got their opportunity yet. Uh, and, and the difference in a lot of those situations is whether you have an existing relationship with, with someone you're dealing with. So, you know, as much as working hard and trying to be the best broadcaster or the best hockey player or the best business person you can be is, uh, you know, maintaining relationships, getting to know people so that they're aware of you when opportunities come up is, is equally, if not more important. Mm -hmm. So it's who, it's the kind of who you know type situation. Okay. That, that's good. Hey, that's... Well, it's, it, 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 it's both, right? Like, like, for example, you know, if, if, if I was horrible, absolutely awful, unlistenable at broadcasting games, I wouldn't have got that job. If I was really good, but maybe didn't have a personal relationship with these people, I might not have got that job either. So it was a little bit of both, where you work hard to be a good broadcaster, but you also just treat the people that you deal with on a daily basis well, um, because you never know who might be your boss one day. Like, that's a perfect example. I was interning with Craig McEwen at Sportsnet while I was at BCIT, and then, you know, I was a colleague, we covered the BC Lions, he was covering them for Sportsnet, I was covering them for <laughs> Team 1040 at the time, and you just, you know, build a relationship, mm -hmm. be nice to people, and you never know where that goes, and now here we are today, and he's my boss, and, you know, I have the opportunity of a lifetime to call Canuck Games. Yeah. So was there a certain moment, like, once you first got the job, like, holy shit, I'm calling, like, the Vancouver Canucks on radio, was there a moment, where it was like, it, it kind of hit you? Yeah, it was probably well. Was it the first game, I, I've got, yeah, the, the first regular season game 
certainly was one where I was like, wow, this is the Canucks on home ice against Connor McDavid and the Oilers, and I'm broadcasting it like that. That is a, you know, it hits you then. You're like, wow, the, you know, this is real. I'm really doing this. I've really got this opportunity. Uh, and I always tell a joke story, too, about my welcome to the NHL moment, which is that uh, my first preseason away game, the Canucks were in L.A. So we were down in L.A. getting ready to broadcast the game. And the night before the game, I went out for dinner with John Shorthouse and John Garrett. Mm. And at the time, you know, I obviously have watched these guys for years, but I didn't know them that well personally. And, uh, you know, we see on social media Murph's posts about Cheech and his ketchup all the time. Oh, yeah. So we go, we go out for dinner, and Cheech orders a large pepperoni pizza and then asks for ketchup. And when the pizza comes, he squirts a big pile of ketchup onto his plate and grabs a slice of pepperoni pizza, dips it in the ketchup, and takes a bite. And at that moment, I was like, well, I guess this is the NHL. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that that's sort of a, a welcome to the NHL story. Yeah. As an Italian, that, that story well. personally offends me. Why would you, <laughs> uh, well, the one, thing, the one thing you know about John Garrett, and, you know, from spending a lot of time with him on the road and eating a lot of meals with him, uh, he doesn't like to use cutlery when he can avoid it, so it'll be a burger or a sandwich or pizza or something like that. And no matter what it is, he will put ketchup on it. What does it matter what it is? Pretty well. I've, I've seen him put ketchup on almost anything you can imagine. Oh my! Is he? Would Would you say he's a messy eater though? Is he like kind of George Costanza at the tennis tournament, just like food all over like his face? No, 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 no. He's clean, okay. and you know, and as much as you know, as much as that doesn't sound like a great diet, he doesn't. It's not like he's picking out eating an entire large pizza to himself <laughs> okay. to order a pizza, eat like three slices, and then offer them to everyone oh, else around. Okay, too. so okay, nice guy. That's that's what I've always expected from John Gary, but it's good to get yeah. confirmation. Yeah, so, absolutely. So what I also kind of wanted to definitely talk to you about tonight is you were you were in Phoenix when. The NHL season was suspended, paused, whatever, whatever you want to call it. What was what was that whole day like? Is take us through that whole day because I, I it was wasn't until like around eleven o'clock from what I remember they actually made the call like okay season's kind of indefinitely suspended. But you were in Phoenix all by all intents and purposes. Canucks were getting ready to play the Coyotes last night. Uh, that night, sorry. What was what was that whole day like from your perspective? Yeah, it was a it was a really weird twenty four hours. So the day before we. Flew down and got into Arizona like late afternoon, like five o'clock. And, you know, there was already lots of speculation and talk about, you know, are these games even going to be played tomorrow? If they're played, is it going to be in front of an empty arena? But at that point, like everything was going like the game's going on. Yeah, at that point, we we still thought the game was going to be played. And we were just debating whether they would allow fans in or not because, um, because at that point, San Jose had already announced that they were going to be playing three home games without fans, and Columbus had announced that their next game was going to be played without fans. And so, you know, we're, we're debating, and I can remember talking with, you know, the other media people around, whether it's Murph or Shorty or Corey Hershey does the games with me about, you know, oh, I wonder if there'll be fans tomorrow, if we'll have to call an empty arena game and what that'll be like. And then when things really changed was later that evening, when it was announced that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz had tested positive and the NBA almost immediately announced that their season was being put on pause. And as soon as that happened, then the conversation changes between, you know, is there a game tomorrow or is there not even going to be a game tomorrow? Because, you know, that 
that sort of felt like the first domino to fall, and you thought that the NHL and all the other major sports leagues would follow suit. But, you know, the night before, nobody really knew what was happening. So I I continued to do my, my normal sort of game preparation and assumed that there was going to be a game the next morning. Uh, and then I woke up the next morning, and, and normally a game day for me on the road, I'll get up and go over to the rink for the morning skate and record interviews that are run on the pregame show uh, ahead of the game. Uh, and I woke up to an announcement the NHL had made earlier that morning that they had canceled all morning skates and team meetings for that day. So they hadn't officially announced that the season was going to be put on hold, but they announced that there wouldn't be a morning skate for anyone. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, this game's not happening tonight. Uh, it's just a matter of when they announce it. So, you know, it was sort of a strange feeling where, where I got up in the morning and, you know, in Arizona, the hotel the Canucks stay at is right across the street from the rink. So I, I just sort of wandered outside to kind of see if anything was happening. And there were a few other media members sort of milling around by the rink. You know, Patrick Johnson from the province and Corey Hirsch and Jeff Patterson from TSN 1040. And we just sort of all stood in a circle and chatted about how, you know, crazy it was. And, you know, this was the situation where there probably wasn't going to be a game that night. And, um, it, you know, it was really quiet in the area around the arena. So it was kind of eerie. And then, you know, obviously later that morning it was announced that the season would be put on pause. And then at that point it was just about waiting to find out when uh, when the team would be flying home and when we would be flying home to come back to Vancouver and, uh, you know, begin a waiting game that uh, has continued all the way up until this point right now. But uh, it's certainly been strange. It's been different. You know, the first few days I really didn't know what to do with myself <laughs> because you're, you're incredibly busy during the season yeah. with so many games and, you know, the, the games were so important at that stretch of the season, too. Like, that game against the Coyotes would have been absolutely huge for the Canucks in terms of trying to battle towards a playoff spot. And normally you're used to, uh, when the season ends, you're kind of expecting it because, you know, you've got a few weeks to understand that, okay, there's only a few games left and the season ends. And, yeah, suddenly you don't have as much work to do, but you're prepared for it. And you've been thinking about, oh, okay, these are some of the things that I'm going to try and do once I, you know, get some time off here once the season's done. But when you go from 24 hours earlier believing that you're going to broadcast a game to suddenly flying back home with literally nothing on your schedule in terms of appointments or things to do for the foreseeable future, it was sort of overwhelming for the first couple of days where I felt like I was useless because... Uh, you know, you feel like you should be getting ready for another game and getting ready for another broadcast, except there isn't another game and there isn't another broadcast, at least for now. And now that, you know, we're, I guess, almost a couple weeks into it, it, you know, it just sort of feels like the off season with, uh, with the difference that, you know, businesses are closed and, uh, staying at home and trying to avoid, you know, busy public areas if at all possible. But, um, but yeah, so it was it was a very weird 24 hours. It's a day that I absolutely know for sure I will never forget as long as I live. And, uh, you know, at the same time, hopefully uh, everyone out there is staying healthy, staying safe, keeping a good distance from everyone. Because, you know, as much as it might seem like it's really tough right now to not go out in public and not do the things you want to do, we're not getting sports back yeah. until we get a handle on COVID-19. So as much as... You know, you might want to go to the beach or you might want to go hang out with friends. You can do that, but it's going to be that much longer until we get hockey. The beaches will be there after this. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. They they always will be. 
Uh, you know, you, you can go out and party with your friends in a few months when things have settled down. But yeah. for right beer now, pong can be put all... on hold. Pardon? The beer pong can be put on hold. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can play virtual beer pong. Yeah, why not? You know, through through Skype or whatever. But uh, but for now, yeah, you know, we're not we're not getting sports and we're not getting hockey back until things uh, take a positive turn. And, you know, we all need to try and do our part to make sure that yeah. happens. Yeah. I, I, I get your feeling that you kind of feel lost at sea because like you have a almost a pretty similar schedule to the players in the sense that from October to April, like your schedules pretty much plan out for you. Like you know where you're going to be this, there and that, and to have kind of the rug pull out of you out of, out of nowhere must be like a very strange feeling. Yeah, it certainly was. And you know, you're right. Like when the Canucks practice, I'm there. When the Canucks play a game, I'm there. When the Canucks travel, or take a flight, I'm there. So, you know, it's, I'm not, not as, as firmly stuck to that routine as the players are where they, you know, have breakfast at this time and team meeting at this time and practice at this time and video meeting before the game at this time. But, you know, in many ways, my schedule is so tied to theirs that you get into a routine and you don't really have to think about, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? Because you already know, oh, there's a game tomorrow or, oh, they're practicing tomorrow. So, you know, the, the off season is always like this where, where, you know, you, you get your own time back and you catch up on some things that you've been meaning to do for a few months. But it was a little bit different this time just because it, it came on so suddenly and so surprisingly that, uh, that it, it sort of caught me off guard the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. So you were on that charter plane back from Phoenix, head to Vancouver. What was that plane ride back? Like, tr- just paint me like a mental, like a mental picture of what that, what the ride, what that plane ride was back. And everyone on the plane knowing that hockey's done for who knows how long. Yeah. I mean, at, at the time we, we thought it might only be a couple of weeks, so it didn't really feel that much different than, than any other plane ride we go on with the team. Uh, you know, guys, guys are, Still in a good mood. It wasn't like there was, you know, a sense of foreboding or anything. It was just okay. Well, things are being put on hold, and you know, you talk about, you know, the the schedule that these players are put under. Well, it's you know, it's a situation where you, when you're told to go somewhere, you go there. So okay, things have changed. We're going home now, uh, and, and that's that. But it, it wasn't really any different than any flight we normally take. I didn't think. Okay, so there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a sense like this could be it for the season. Everyone's still on, kind of optimistic that the season would be, they'd be playing hockey again pretty soon. Yeah, well, I mean, there was, there was like, I can, you know, we remember debating with a couple of the other media guys, because, of course, we, and me and Corey Hirsch, and then Shorty and Cheech and Murph, uh, travel on the team playing because we actually are the right holding broadcasters yeah. and broadcast the games. All the other media members fly commercial and get, you know, to and from the cities. Uh, by themselves. So, you know, just amongst us, there was debate around, like, is it going to be a couple weeks? Is this the end of the season? But there was so much uncertainty, and it was so fresh at that point that nobody really knew. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone that's, you know, try to be optimistic in my life. So I was thinking that, oh, okay, well, you know what, this will be a nice few-week break, uh, and then we'll come back and finish things off after that. Uh, whether that ends up being the case or not, I guess we'll have to wait and see since it's already been almost two weeks and, you know, they're talking about, you know, postponing the Olympics now. So that's something that's in late July. So certainly could impact whether the NHL comes back or not. But for the moment, it's just about, uh, waiting to see where things go with this disease, waiting to see, you know, 
whether the NHL will be able to come back, mm-hmm. when they're able to come back, whether they'll be able to have fans in the rink, whether they'll have to play in front of empty arenas, or whether they'll be able to play at all. But right now there are more questions than, than answers, so you just got to hang in there and, and wait and see what happens. Mm. You said there's more questions than answers, but I'm going to ask you the question right now. If when ho- if hockey comes back, when we see hockey again, what's it? What's a what's a what's the playoffs going to look like? Is there even like a shortened playoffs? Like what are we looking at here realistically? Yeah, it's it's so hard to tell because I believe from some of the conversations I've had that the NHL has multiple plans for what to do depending upon how soon they're able to come back. So you know if it's not that long, then I think it's still possible that they try to play out the remainder of the regular season and have a playoff format that looks very similar to what we would expect from the Stanley Cup playoffs. But at the same time, there are all sorts of things being battered around. You know, there, there was a proposal from some of the players that they actually wait to come back until July, and then they finish the regular season and do the playoffs in August and September, and then you have the off season in October, and then next season starts a month late in November. So that's something that's possible. They've also talked about, you know, a 2014 playoff uh, that has a little bit of a different format where, you know, more teams get in, but maybe there's play in games and or shorter series. And, and so that's a possibility as well. And then I've even heard like uh, the possibility of an NCAA tournament style bracket where you just play single elimination games has been floated out there. And that personally wouldn't be my preference, but uh, for, from everything I'm hearing, it sounds like the NHL is willing to listen to almost anything in terms of suggestions when it comes to what to do about finishing this season if and when they are able to get back up and running. I like that March Madness idea. Like I, I'm rooting for chaos in these types of scenarios when, when the NHL comes back. I want to see the wackiest idea for the playoffs come to life. Yeah, I mean, it, it would certainly be strange because, you know, we've seen it from games with the Canucks this year, right? Like, you know, they beat the Boston Bruins 9-3, to but then they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning 9-2. to So you put yourself in a single-game scenario with, you know, any team in the NHL, and literally anything can happen. The Boston Bruins could have an off night, and being a Stanley Cup favorite, they could be out in the first round. Or a team like the Vancouver Canucks could get hot at the right time and go really deep into the bracket. So, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that because it doesn't feel like the traditional Stanley Cup playoffs that we're used to, but it certainly would be chaotic and would be a lot of fun if they, they went in that direction. Mm, absolutely. So, sorry, I know we've been at this for a while. I've got a couple more questions. So you mentioned you got a lot of free time. Like, what have you been doing since the season's been suspended? Like, what have you been up to? Not a whole lot. Um you know, staying at home for most of the day, trying to exercise or get out in, in nature away from people whenever I have a chance. So my wife and I have gone on a few hikes or long walks. I went on a run today. Uh, I've been cooking a little bit more than I normally would, you know, baking in the kitchen and doing some things like that. Uh, I play a lot of FIFA, so I've been, you know, catching up on playing FIFA, uh, reading more than I, I would. I've, you know, I just finished a book this morning and uh, pick up another one here quickly. So just sort of find, trying to find things to do to, to pass the time right now when, uh, you know, some of the, the options in terms of show, social life aren't necessarily there. And then certainly there's no hockey to watch on TV right now either. So uh, <clears throat> binge watching shows. My wife and I watched The Outsider from HBO, which is mm. based on a, <clears throat> a Stephen King book, which 
uh, certainly was a was an interesting show, and you know, otherwise watching movies and and you know, I would imagine doing a lot of the things that many other people are right now to to pass the time while staying at home. Mm. I've been watching Seinfeld again just because I want something funny and com- and comfortable. I don't, I thought it was just be a time where I'd be like watching a brand new series, and I'm just going back to what I like. Yeah, and, that, and that's a certainly an option too. And you know, I like Brooklyn Nine Nine a lot, and Same. you know. During the day, during the week, there's episodes on of that all the time. So we certainly watched a lot of that yeah. too. So there've been talks about like some sort of like mini training camp when hockey comes back, just to get everyone in shape because you know they, they, a lot of these players like they can't skate; they're not gonna be able to skate for a while. Do you think broadcasters need like a minute, little mini training camp like before the season as well to get the rest <laughs> off? Yeah, maybe I should start uh, doing play-by-play of things around the house. Just to yeah, make you sure know, I don't you know, Joe Buck's doing that. You should you should just copy him. Yeah, oh, there you go. If, if Joe Buck's doing it, then that's a pretty good uh, bar to set. But yeah, you know, there, it's just like in the summer too. There are there are things that I do to try and get back up to speed before the regular season starts. Like for example, the past few years uh, when we've been covering Canucks training camp for Sportsnet 650, we've just sort of done pretty casual play by play of some of the scrimmage games that they have at training camp, just to sort of make sure that a I haven't forgot how to do play-by-play because usually it's been three or four months since I've called the game and just to get back into that comfort zone and get comfortable talking about the team again and, and back into a hockey mode. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it sort of depends if, if this break is only a few more weeks, then it won't have been that long, but that I'll, I'll feel pretty comfortable jumping right back into the booth. But if it goes a, a couple more months, then, then certainly there are things that you do to try and get back up to speed and get ready to jump back mm-hmm. in again. Tell you what, if you need some games to practice your play-by-play on when hockey comes back, I'll send you the the game film of uh, me and my friends playing ball hockey, and then you can you can use that. I'm giving that to you free of charge. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I may need it. We'll see. Okay. If, if this if this uh, social quarantine or uh, social distancing or whatever you want to call it goes on too much longer, I'll be willing to watch pretty much any hockey just to get a taste of it. No, no, I, I'm I'm getting close to that too. So just a couple more questions. You mentioned your earlier your color guy Corey Hirsch. I, I I really like what he brings to the broadcast. But what's a good like Corey Hirsch story from the road that we can we can tweet out there? Like some something like like a John Garrett like eating ketchup type scenario like. What, what's Corey? What's a good Corey Hirsch story you can tell us? Oh, that's a good one. Well, Cor- Hershey is a, a beauty, obviously. Like he's a great guy, uh, and I, I have a lot of respect for him because you know, as as you'll know, with a lot of the mental health work oh, he does, he's yeah. had some tough stretches in life, and uh, he's really come through them and is a real role model for people. So I respect that. But I will say that he's one of the most forgetful people that uh, that I've ever met. So uh, there was one trip where. Uh, he forgot his passport and had to have it, you know, someone found it at an airport and it had to be mailed to the hotel to make sure that he would have it so he could get back into Canada once we came back from the trip. So, uh, so he's a beauty, but, uh, you know, he, he always jokes that I kind of had to keep him in line and remind him of things sometimes because he, he can't be a bit forgetful and, and misplace things. Okay. So you're like, you're like his mom on the road trip. Like you're the one who's like, has it having to remind him to <laughs> do all this stuff. I'm gonna tell him you said that. That's awesome. I'm yeah. gonna steal that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you you agreed to come on the podcast. Steal whatever you want, man. I'm not I'm not really too worried about it. <laughs> so, just one more thing. Uh, I'm thinking about changing this podcast to Power of the Purell, given what's you know what's going on. Uh, do you have any suggestions on what I can? Any suggestions what you want to hear from this podcast? Um, 
if, if like hockey goes on like without hockey much longer like what what would you suggest as a as well, a professional could, broadcaster what would you suggest well you could do power of the purex as well because certainly it seems like people have more toilet paper at home than they know oh, what man. to do with so start a podcast and Ranking come up with paper? all sorts of different different uses for toilet paper because uh, there are people I know from, from some of the lineups you've seen at grocery stores and the fact that it's hard to find toilet paper anywhere that probably have like mountains of it at home and they won't know what to do with it because certainly, you know, it seems almost humanly impossible to use that much in a short span of time. So what are some alternative uses for toilet paper? That's what I want to hear about. Okay. I'm trying to think right now, uh, any sort if like, maybe if you have like a giant sore, like you could use it to wrap that, uh, Hey, what about just general mischief? Like that's always a good use for toilet paper, I find. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, I think assuming things are back to normal by October, I think Halloween might be a gong show for that in terms of in terms of people all have all this extra toilet oh, yeah. paper on their hands. What can you do? Well, you can TP the neighbor's house. Oh, or yeah. You can if throw I, TP up in a tree. So if, I, if I was twelve years old for this upcoming Halloween, I would be having a field day. Let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so awesome. Thank you so much for you know agreeing to come on this podcast, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on when there's actual uh, Canucks stuff to talk about. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, call back anytime. All right, thanks to Brendan Batchelor for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. All right, let's get into our uh, regular segments. Our first one is called Way to Go, Jimmy. I'm ahead of them. Go Jimmy, Jimmy. All right, way to go, Jimmy, where we chronicle the trials and tribulations of one Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal. Now, Jim Matheson's had a few, like, really good tweets about this pandemic and owners having to buck up and pay the arena concession workers, which I'm 100% for, hey, I don't know if people know this, but I actually used to work at the Rogers Arena concession. Uh, I did it for one season, and those people deserve to have their salaries paid for, is what is what I'm getting at. Because I know I would appreciate, you know, I was a student at the time, and hey, I would appreciate it if this happened when I was a student. I would have been, I don't even know what I would have been doing. But I digress. Jim Matheson's tweet is back to hockey, and it's still, Jim's got it nailed down for. You know, pandemic takes, but hockey takes. He still, he still needs to, you know, get get worked up a bit. You know, he still needs to, still needs to get warmed up. So here's his uh, most recent hockey-related tweet: <clears throat> When hockey resumes next season, is it too much to ask Edmonton Oilers to do what they should be doing? Relax, excessively stringent policy of only hockey Hall of Famers having numbers retired. Silly that first-round pick, draft first draft pick. Sorry, Kevin Lowe, who's played most Oilers games, five cups. Doesn't have number four in rafters. Can you imagine Edmonton Oilers retiring the number of the general manager who like set them in this huge death spiral for like do- close to a decade? Can you, ma- can you imagine the takes and the vitriol that will spew on Twitter and just all the jokes? How many how many how many people will clown the Oilers for retiring this guy's number for doing a terrible job as GM for six, seven, eight years, close to a decade? Jim, Jim, I I respect Jim for a sole reason. He clearly does not ever check his mentions because, or really goes on Twitter besides to tweet. Because if he did, he would realize how insane this this whole idea is. Oh man! 
I think Jim needs to, the pandemic, I think Jim needs to get back into more pandemic tweets, more COVID-19 tweets. That that was his wheelhouse for uh, for a while. Okay, so I promised, promised last week I would get into some book talk, some good books for uh, for everyone to read. When you're uh, cooped up inside, want to read a good book, pass the time. So I've got a few suggestions for everyone. Uh, let's, I guess we'll start with sports books. So the two that jump off the top of my head are the game by Ken Dryden. You know, a seminal hockey book. One of the, you know, definitive hockey books, in my opinion. And Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby. Just, it's a more of a autobiographical, almost fiction book, but it kind of describes this guy's relationship with Arsenal, you know, the the soccer team in England, if, you know, if you're not familiar with hockey, but it's his, uh, soccer rather, but his just tortured relationship with the team is, I think if you're, especially if you're a Canucks fan, you'd like that book because I, when I read it, I saw a lot of similarities with that and being a Canucks fan, just the tortured relationship Canucks fans have with their team and they just can't seem to quit it, just like he couldn't quit supporting Arsenal. So those are two sports. Another good one was, it's called uh, Beta Ball. Yeah, Beta Ball. I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now. It's about the uh, how the Golden State Warriors got as good as they as they did. You know, obviously they're struggling this year, but how do they build like one of the all-time great kind of dynasties? For a specific Canucks talk, uh, or Canucks century book, Ice Storm, uh, Bruce Dowbiggin wrote a book about the uh, the rise and eventual fall of the Mike Gillis regime. Regime, sorry, that's that's a really good one. Okay, now non 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 sports book. So one I'm reading right now and I really like is um is Steve Jobs uh, biography. Hey, they they don't. It's not a puff piece at all. They go all out. If you've watched the. Uh, if you've watched the Steve Jobs movie with uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, Seth Rogen as Steve Wozniak, uh, you probably you'll probably be very familiar with the book. They base the they base that movie on this book. It pretty much shows like Steve Jobs was a bit of an asshole, and they don't they don't they don't hold anything back in this book really. Like they, they didn't talk, and this guy talked to everyone about Steve Jobs, so that's a good one. Uh, I really like it in terms of fiction. Uh, my personal favorite fiction book of all time is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hunter S. Thompson. I've read that book I mean, probably, I think, two, three times. It's one of the few fiction books. I'm usually the type of guy, once I read a book, I don't really pick it up again. But man, this guy, Hunter S. Thompson is one of my favorite writers. And if you like that book, you know, I managed to pick up a um, like a compilation of his best. He used to write for Rolling Stone. So I managed to pick up a compilation of his you know, best essays. Um, another good one by him is Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. Talks about the 1972 uh, U.S. presidential election, which I, ha- I have to admit is uh, is pretty good. Like, that one's really good. I still have Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's still my favorite. That one's pretty good as well. In terms of pop culture books, can't go wrong with uh, Shea Serrano's uh, movies and other things. That's a good one I just picked up. I liked his book on... Um, the rap yearbook. It's a few years old now, but it goes over the best rap rap hip hop song from every year. I think he published it in 2014, so it's a bit dated now. But it goes into what made each song so like timeless and iconic from that year. 
So those are uh, those are all the. I'm just literally I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now, listing off books. This is this is how I come up with my book list. But if you have any other, if you have any other good book suggestions, again, just like your favorite hockey members, make sure to tweet at us, at me personally, at Nick Bondi, or at or at the uh, at the Twitter account for this podcast at Power of the Towel. Once again, this is Power of the Towel. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Subscribe to the network. Before you stop listening today, we got a. And there's, I don't think there's going to be hockey on for a while. I hate to break it to everyone, and I, I I wish it was. I wish I was, you know, I wish I was, I wish I was wrong. But I just don't. I can't see hockey being on for a little while. So we might. I think me. I think we're all in agreement on the next Wisconsin Network. We're gonna we're gonna try something a bit different. We're gonna try and we're gonna try and you know give you some more pop culture, you know podcasts we've got we've got plans and it's going to involve hockey maybe in a bit of a way but just be prepared just be prepared that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying just be prepared once again this is nick bondy for power of the town next misconduct network thank you for listening